The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes and uh, privileged that you allow me on this show uh, into your homes and radios and cars you know, for the last couple of weeks, we've uh, heard very emotional and passionate stories, not only from gambling addicts like myself, but from loved ones. And uh, this being Problem Gambling Awareness Month, I thought that it was important to take a little break from hearing the stories and now talk about the steps that we offer and we encourage people to take to get help. So joining us, as always, is uh, Dan Trelaro. Uh Dan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Craig. Good morning. And uh, joining us for the second time in this show from uh, Kindbridge is uh, my dear friend Mark Lefkowitz. Mark, good morning. How are you? I'm fine, Craig. Thanks for having me on. The three of us do have the commonality that we're all gamblers. And uh, while Dan and Mark have now made it their life's mission to help other people like uh, like us, um, they understand what it's like to also be that person deep in the throes of having a gambling addiction. And you know, it kind of takes one to know one. This being Problem Gambling Awareness Month, Mark, I wanted to have you on because of uh, your experience. Uh, full transparency, Mark was part of the team that you know, uh, woke me up and made me realize I had a problem and gave me the tools to start dealing with it. And while it's not a quick fix, there's always got to be a step one. So, Mark, in your experience, what do you think is step one for a gambler or the loved one of a gambler to make sure that that addict is getting help? And then we'll go kind of through the arc of what help looks like. Yeah, so, you know, it's sort of, a you know, gamblers never want to quit even when they know they have to quit, you know. So for us, you know, there are short windows when people have this sort of realization, you know what, I got a problem, I got to do something about it. And it's really important at those moments uh, to get them help right away. Uh, same thing for the loved ones. The loved ones, the gambler might not want to quit, but the loved ones still might need the help, uh, their help at all to be able to dis- uh, detach and be able to take care of their own lives. You know, when when somebody calls a helpline, you know, it's usually in some moment that, you know, everything bad is happening at that moment. And if they don't get the treatment right away, you know, you know, a bulb goes off in the head. You know what? I can get money. Maybe I could help myself. So. It's really important when, when gamblers, I know for myself, in, in my gambling problems, they're all the trouble I cause myself, repossessions, uh, uh, evictions, everything else, there was only a couple of moments where I said, you know, I want help. And luckily, I got the help right there, then and there. So we try and always, uh, as providers, always try and get to the person as quickly as possible. We don't want them to wait for a return phone call because, you know, they could figure out, hey, you know what? I can get money. I could I could solve this problem. Right. You know, one of the things I found, and, I, and I've struggled with, because by no means am I an expert, but because of, you know, the radio show and doing this show, and the fact that I have an audience and a platform, I've had a number of uh, young people reach out to me, and I usually steer them towards Dan, and Danny has been great, and he can speak to this because he knows what I'm talking about. And one of the questions, Mark, that I've gotten a lot, and I want both of you guys to answer this, you know, a lot of these younger guys, guys in their 20s, early 30s, what almost universally they've said to me was, I don't want to hear from a therapist that I need to find something to take the place 
of my desire to gamble. I want to figure out how not to gamble. And I never know the right thing to say to them. Uh, And I wonder, is there an answer to that? Like, are we trying to come up with some activity or, you know, mental gymnastics to replace the desire to gamble? And what do you say to someone when they say that to you? Mark, I'll start with you. Then, Danny, you jump in. Yeah, no, it's pretty funny. I mean, I I came into Gamblers Anonymous in New York when I was 24 years old. So, you know, I came in when I was young. And I'll never forget, you know, when you were saying this, some guy said to me, you should start bowling. (laughs) You know, <laughs> okay. they told me, you know, start bowling. I can remember that, like, you know, this guy Irving that told me, start bowling. It did not help <laughs> at all, you know. No, I think that, you know, it's it's a lot about education. You know, it's a lot more about, you know, from a therapy point of view is educate the person, figure out what they get out of gambling uh, and what they can get out of life without gambling. Let them come up with it. You know, to tell somebody to choose an activity sometimes, might be counterproductive. You know, you might say, you know, because what happens is, and, and you probably found the same thing, is we stop doing, you know, when, we, when we're addicted to something, you know, because of dopamine and everything else, we stop doing the activities we used to like to do because it doesn't pay off. I mean, gone fishing used to be a lot of fun, but now, you know, you're winning 20 grand on a blackjack table. It's not going to, fishing ain't going to match that. So a lot of it is saying, what activities did you used to do and like to do and start easing them back into those kind of activities. Yeah, and I'll echo Mark's points, because oftentimes when people will call our helpline at 800-GAMBLER, the, one of the first things I ask them is, you know, what motivated you to call today, right? Because to Mark's point earlier also, you know, the window of opportunity is small and it's short. And so whether it's a gambler calling or the loved one, we try to give as many resources as possible. If it's a loved one, we want them to have the resources so when the gambler has that realization that they need help, the loved one's armed with them. And if it's the gambler... We want them to understand what opportunities and resources are out there. But we oftentimes say, why did you call today? And during this conversation organically, to Mark's point, we want to help them understand what else did they like to do in their life? You know, you're creating a life where gambling no longer fits in organically, you know, because people don't like to be told what not to do. But we can encourage them and have conversation, and then they'll start to realize what they like to do in addition to gambling, and over time, we hope that with other life skills and tools, it replaces the gambling organically, and, and in a way, you're empowering them to make that decision without telling them to make the decision. You know, when I went out to Arizona and met Mark, um, I went with uh, unpure um, – I'm trying to think of the right word here uh, – you know, kind of expectations. I went to shut people up. I went, because I I didn't think I had a problem, or at least I was in denial that I had a problem. I guess I did know deep down inside, but maybe uh, my ego didn't want to admit it. I went more so to get people off my back. I went because I thought it also might benefit me in the long run with the legal proceedings I was facing. And I wonder how often you hear that story, Mark, and how much you've seen that. And it wasn't until I got in there that I recognized, wow, I'm going to actually get something out of this. But I... I went for all the wrong reasons, to be completely honest and transparent. Yeah, well, you know, as therapists and, and, and treatment providers, you know, it's, it's our job to go where you are, you know, and, and to roll with the denial and everything else and let you work through it. You know, we, what we did was expose you to a lot of stuff. We exposed you to our trauma therapist, which seemed to help uh, really open you up and at least realize that there was a connection between it, you know. You can't, you know, what Dan's, you know, echo on Dan is, 
you can't tell a gambler what to do. You can't tell any addict what to do. You tell an addict to, you know, you need to stop. They are definitely not going to stop. You know, you tell a, a smoker, you know, you, uh, you need to quit smoking. They'll blow the smoke in your face. But it's a matter of, of listening uh, to where you're at. And then roll with it and then get you to talk about the denial, you know, get you to talk about uh, and, and for you to come up with, you know. So, you know, we do a lot of motivational interviewing is probably one of the uh, the, the key uh, treatment strategies in working with gamblers is. And it's basically. So how's that working for you? You know, right. How's that work working for you? And when you you yourself realize it ain't working, then you say, well, maybe I need help. And then we say, you know, well, how can we help you? I should mention that Mark is with a company now called Kindbridge. If you go to Kindbridge.com, their uh, their whole background now is teletherapy. You know, COVID obviously has knocked uh, the therapy business and uh, helplines, uh, you know, cuckoo like many other businesses. So uh, the beauty of Kindbridge is that you can get instant access to a licensed therapist online. You don't have to worry about leaving your house. You can literally do it from the comfort of your home, your cubicle, your office. And uh, every one of their therapists is licensed and knows exactly what they're doing. And I'm a proponent of what uh, Conbridge.com does. So if you are listening to this show, uh, by all means, give uh, give Mark and his team a check at Conbridge.com. Danny, we always talk about March. There's no surprise that March is Problem Gambling Awareness Month. We're uh, you know a couple days away from... Knowing who's playing who, we know where they're playing. They're all playing in Indianapolis. But March Madness brings on a whole new set of triggers. And for a lot of people, you know, the beginning of a problem. Uh, walk me through what you guys do getting ready for, quote-unquote, March Madness. Yeah, thank you. You know, we kicked off this past week and all around the country, Problem Gambling Awareness Month, it's nationally recognized. And so you have various states various health departments, various agencies, even casino operators coming to the table to support the efforts to help people identify that, you know, sure, there's a percentage of the population that cannot gamble responsibly, and they do develop a problem. So in the state of New Jersey, we have a series of webinars beginning each Friday. Uh, We're speaking around the country virtually, of course, because there's not too much in-person still happening, just heightening awareness around problem and disordered gambling, because this is the time to do it. And we encourage people to have a conversation. You know, Mark talked about this before, and and the three of us have often talked about the first step is, is having a conversation and listening, you know, not telling someone what to do, but kind of trying to understand their perspective, where they're coming from, and listening on a regular basis, and also respecting diversity, because people come to treatment People come from backgrounds that we have no clue about. I remember I was in Delaware a couple of years ago, Craig, and chatting with a gentleman who's also a, a brother in recovery, and he had never thought about gambling on the street corner, inner city. It's just something that never dawned on him because he was white collar. You know, that was his world of gambling. And he was in a workshop where he heard another side of gambling that was a little darker, a little bit more underground, yet they had so many similarities and commonalities they were able to connect, and they're really close, tight friends today in the program and in the fellowship. So we, we always realize we have a lot more similarities than we do differences, and this is the time of the month where we try to really connect with people who are struggling and encourage people to have a conversation about their gambling. 
We're going to continue on here with Hello, My Name is Craig. Mark Lefkowitz with Conbridge.com. And, of course, the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, Dan Trelaro. More right after this on WFAN. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton. And supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. All right, guys, welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton along with Dan Trelaro and Mark Lefkowitz. Uh, Mark, of course, with Conbridge.com. Teletherapy for not only gambling addicts, but gaming addicts as well, which I'm going to get to in a second. And Danny, of course, with the Council on Compulsive Gambling. We talk a lot about adults, guys. We talk a lot about, you know, uh, the neighborhood bookie, the guy that, you know, is uh, playing roulette to blackjack to sports to, you know, Mexican dog racing. I've done it. I bet on uh, Tijuana horse racing, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning to, you know, Australian Open tennis. If there's an event, there's a way to gamble on it. And more so now than ever. There's also more kids online, and there's more access to not just, quote-unquote, pure old-school gambling, but there's new ways, and gaming is one of them. And, uh, Mark, I want you to speak to, to that. It's a, there's a lot of moms and dads listening right now yeah. who have uh, teenage kids who are spending six, seven, eight, nine hours a day staring at a screen, whether it's their phone, whether it's a laptop, whether it's a desktop, and the parents, frankly, have no idea what those kids are doing because we're out of touch. How big a problem is the rising addiction of youth gaming? Yeah, well, it almost reminds me of like in the early 2000s when, when Texas Hold'em became uh, really big. You know, parents were letting their kids play Texas Hold'em, you know. Uh, they would have parties. They thought it was like a healthy activity. And as we know in gambling, uh, the prevalence rate, like maybe it might be one or two percent uh, for an adult to get addicted, but it's more somewhere between four and nine percent hmm. for adolescents to get addicted. And we're seeing people even younger than adolescents, you know, uh, in the, you know ten to fifteen years old doing it. So the thing is, they they've sort of monetized uh, gaming and, and and normalized gaming. So whereas you know, gambling might not be as sociably acceptable for somebody young. Just imagine how sociably acceptable it is. And just like we had those poker stars where there were teenagers winning a million dollars and their parents says, oh, wow, this is great. Uh, you know, now you have, uh, you know, somebody in, in esports can really, you know, gain fame and be as popular as, as Mickey Mantle if, you know, they're filling out arenas. And it's real interesting now that gaming is sort of, you know, they're emerging and competing with gambling, you know, for that money, because they're, the clients are fairly similar. And so, you know, we're seeing, you know, they're, they're each one of these games like Minecraft and other things sort of create their own economy. There are these things like loot boxes where you're, you have all these in-app purchases. So they're cracking up the, uh, sure. the credit card. I wonder in your experience with these, uh, the, these, the young people that you guys deal with and their parents, are they chasing fame where they want to be the next YouTube, uh, you know, Twitch star? Or are they, are they chasing, I want to be, uh, keep up with the Joneses, and if Fortnite's got a new skin for my character, I'm going right. to have it? Uh, or is it just a combination of that? It's a combination of all that. And what we're learning now is a lot of these uh, esports games, or all these uh, video games, put in, like, artificial intelligence to almost neutralize all the skins and the loot boxes and everything else to sort of make the games even more complicated, to make the games more addictive. 
and and for people to spend more money, thinking that they just need to spend more money. But the other part about it is is the social interaction. Like all these kids talk the same language, and it's the language of video gaming. Right. So there's that other connection, that other layer. And a lot of times we're working with in cases of both the 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 the, the adolescent or the young adolescent and the parent, and trying to find a connect between them because usually there's some kind of disconnect. You know, it's like, you know, when I was growing up, my parents, you know, put in front of a television set and watch TV and, and to take care. But this thing has much more consequences. Yeah, it's it's concerning. You know, I have kids. My kids range in age from 10 up to 20. So, uh, you know, I'm worried about different things for my 20 year old than I have for my 10 year old. Now, they both live online, but I know they're accessing different things. Right. Uh, all those things potentially problematic. You know, it's kind of like gambling. Like a lot of people can play blackjack, can bet a hundred bucks on a ball game and it's never a problem and it's fun. It's great. You know, there are a lot of kids that can play Minecraft for two hours a day or, you know, sit there all night and play a couple hours of Fortnite or, you know, whatever it might be and not a problem. But there's other kids who can't get out. You know, in my house, we call like the Twitter hole. Or, you know, the gaming hole. Like, hey, turn it off, man. It doesn't have to be in your hands 24-7. It's okay, you know, to run around the house a couple times. And I think what COVID has done, I think it's made it much more difficult for parents to parent against that kind of behavior because the parents are struggling. You know, the kids have nowhere to go. There's no play dates. There's no, hey, let's go in the backyard with five of my buddies because the buddies' families aren't going to let the kids come over. And these kids are kind of left in a spot where, sadly, the only avenue, Dan, is the phone or the computer or the Xbox or the PlayStation. Yeah, Craig, you're so right. You know, I'm thinking about yesterday, um, received a call from, from a friend and they're doing some research for us in Seton Hall University with some college students. And, you know, sometimes kids, they, they have different motivations for gaming. And one of the motivations is that social interaction piece. So if you're telling your kid to shut off the TV or shut off the PC or shut off the laptop, the gaming console, you're not just taking away the game. You're taking away their social interaction as well. So that's a concern. We also, what we realize too, is that some young people don't see the activity they're doing as problematic. You know, if, if, it's game, if it's gambling, like let's say gambling on sports, most college students don't view it as gambling. They view it as a way to make fast money, a way to make easy money, a way to have social interaction with friends, a way to hang out. So they don't really think that anything they're doing is really harmful or problematic. And to your point, COVID has really shifted this a lot. You know, listening to the program a few days ago, you know, we know what's happening in New York with a lack of uh, physical activity. Uh, there's, there's always new things that are emerging during COVID. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I think it was Boomer and Geo were talking about this NBA hotshot, these collectible packs. Right. This new digital collectible craze is taking off, which is such a foreign concept, but there's always something new right around the corner. So we have to get to the underlying issue, which is what Mark talks about a lot of times. Yeah, Mark, for me, it was, I mean, so complicatedly simple. Blackjack. Who's got six decks <laughs> of cards and <laughs> chips? And if you had them, I, I was your best friend because I was going to be there. And, you know, underground games, you know, legitimate games. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing how you, if you want to do it, you can always find a way to do it. Like, there's places in New York City, and I'll obviously never reveal where they are. There are places if I wanted to right now, I could get in a taxi cab, and in five minutes, I could be at a table with chips in front of me and six decks of cards. 
Yeah, no, I, you know, I mean, I gambled in New York and, you know, I grew up in New York. I gambled in New York in the seventies and there were all these underground Las Vegas nights at temples and churches. And I was playing blackjack when I was 16 years old, uh, in all these games, even, I remember, as a, you know, this is way before the Internet, way before anything else, cell phones and everything else. And, uh, yeah, I'd always find a way uh, to gamble. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a quick story. I was at lunch once in a restaurant that's inside a very well-known hotel. I'll leave it at that. And I had been, obviously, I, this is like the height of my gambling addiction, where I'm, I'm literally betting, you know, $30,000 every turn on, on blackjack, okay? And... The general manager of the uh, hotel comes up to me. He knew who I was from the radio, didn't, didn't know anything else. I didn't think about me. And he said, can I talk to you for a minute? I go, yeah, sure. He goes, can you, you, know, can you step away from the table? So I step away from the table and he said, listen, we have some mutual friends. I don't know who he was talking about, nor did I know who this guy was. I was literally minding my business, eating lunch. That's all I was doing. It was an innocent lunch. And he said, if you want, we have one of the largest private games here, uh, so-and-so night, so-and-so, you know, day of the week type of thing. And uh, we'd love you to come play. Somebody vouched for you. And it, was to, it wasn't for Blackjack, which is really the game I played, because I found poker too slow for my brain. It yeah. was to go play with like 20 other guys, Texas Hold'em Poker, and it was a $50,000 entry fee to walk in the door. I never met the guy before. And at that point, I didn't say to myself, that's messed up. You got to slow your roll. You know, people are talking about how much you're gambling and it's getting to guys like this. I didn't care. Now, I didn't go play because I, and the only reason I didn't go play is I didn't like playing poker. You know, if the guy had said we got a blackjack table, 50 grand to walk in the door, I would have lived there. And at no point did I say to myself, stop. I was pissed off that they didn't offer blackjack, to be honest. You know, and I, I know you guys have experienced stories like that. So when I think about kids, they have access. It's immediate access. It's 24-7 access. Every kid's got a phone. So when I put my kids to bed and then I go to sleep, I don't know if 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, a 16 or 17-year-old kid isn't waking up and doing something on his phone that's going to put him in harm's way. And that's the concern. Craig, one of the things that you just mentioned brings me back to when I was gambling and, you know, illegal offshore sites, blackjack was the thing I just did all the time, was blackjack and sports betting. And one of the biggest concerns that I have for young people today is that speed and repetition, how fast you can play a hand of blackjack. And, and some of the illegal sites even let you have fast play. You could speed up the play where the yep. cards are just rapidly appearing. And it's just that constant, constant speed and repetition of the brain developing the activity. That is so concerning today for the young people as their brain still develops. And I know, Mark, you, you, you might share the same concern. Right. That is a real concern. Yeah, what, what happens is generally the way the brain is developing is the, the accelerator develops way before the brakes do. You know, I think it's maybe because they want, you know, as, uh, you know, uh, evolutionary, we want we want to be able to try things, figure things out when we're young or know what works and what doesn't work. But the payoff in, in gambling and gambling ga- and especially gaming uh, just uh, really locks it in at an early age uh, and, and makes it difficult to stop later on. You know, the interesting thing, though, with uh, gaming as opposed to gambling 
you know, a lot of times more the outcome that we're looking for is more of like a harm reduction kind of model. It's not necessarily telling somebody, you know, they could never game again, but what's normal about gaming? You know, I mean, what, 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 like what you were saying before, you know, you know, uh, two hours is, is okay, you know, but when it's affecting your, you know, when you're uh, gaming all night and it's affecting your schoolwork right. or adults, you're gaming all night and you're coming into work late with bloodshot eyes and you're not doing your job. Uh, then it becomes a problem, and that problem's got to be dealt with. Well, guys, as always, I appreciate your time. Uh, I know people get a lot out of it. If you're looking for the teletherapy-type help that Kindbridge offers, uh, check Mark and his team out at kindbridge.com. I can vouch for Mark. He helped save my life, and uh, I'm not overstating that. He changed my life for the better. It's a long journey. I'm uh, still towards the beginning phases of it, but he made my life a whole heck of a lot better. And Dan, who's a savior as well, I can tell you that I've turned probably, I don't know, a dozen to 15 people over to Dan, and every one of them uh, has thanked me at some point because Dan has changed their lives as well. So I appreciate the work you both do, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning on Hello, My Name is Craig. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good to hear thanks from you. Thanks so much, thanks, and thanks for all you're doing. We'll be back again next week at 9.30. Evan Roberts is coming up next. And then, of course, uh, Monday afternoon, it's uh, Carton and Roberts at 2 o'clock right here on Sports Radio 66, WFAN. Have a great day.